It's a third and nine. Rushing four, ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground and still on the ground. Picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. It has been a long time, so long I don't even know when it was the last time that we had bonus sportscasters in a week. Yeah, it used to happen somewhat regularly. And then the Sabres playoffs, but that hasn't been in a while. <laughs> we haven't done that yeah. in a while. I wonder if the Sabres playoffs is the last time we had more than one thing going in a week. Because that was here, right? That was post-Bob's house? I don't know, because we did a lot of it. Like from my car or from you walking. Right, we would do it in weird places, but I'm saying, like, were we here at that point? That's a good question. Because if we were here, that was definitely the last thing. Yeah. Anyway. Bonus material. For all you history, sportscasters, history (laughs) This is what's going on. Uh, We just finished season six, episode 22 of the show. It's a great one. SL Price joins us. He is fresh off the plane from Brazil. We talk about the Olympics with him. Also, Aaron Schatz, he's on the podcast every year to promote his awesome uh, Football Outsiders Almanac. That episode is the same as any sportscasters episode you've known and loved over the years. This one is a little different. So here's what we got going on today. In a second, we're going to take a break, and we're going to do a college football preview interview with Bruce Feldman. Uh, from Fox Sports. He's a sideline reporter for Fox Sports. He also writes at foxsports.com with our friend Stuart Mandel. Uh, He's on the cable shows of Fox Sports 1. And he's got a really cool presence on Twitter. He's at Bruce Feldman CFB there. He wrote a book called The QB, which is out on paper book. And we do uh, 30 to 35 minutes just previewing the hell out of the college football season. After that, Don and I are going to do our over-under picks for the year. Uh, We pick four each. We've done it just about every year of the podcast, and we're usually pretty good. Don said, do you have last year's? And I'm like, you know what? I know we went over what we did last year, but I don't know where they are right now. So go back into the archives, (laughs) listen show by show, and you'll find it. Yeah, if someone wants to send it to us. Yeah, or if you know what it is, it's possible you might. Uh, We'll do that in the middle. Then we have uh, about 25 minutes with uh, Danny Kelly, who is one of the staff writers at Ringer. And we do not a true NFL preview uh, interview with him, but it's the preseason. So a lot of the stuff we're talking about is preview of what's going to happen in the regular season. Just, Just so nobody gets mad, the website is The Ringer. That's important as far as oh okay type, the, the ringer dot com yeah ringer doesn't go anywhere ringer goes nowhere which is weird it must go somewhere nope no ringer and then Don and I will be back to close off the show and basically just make a quick Super Bowl pick maybe I'll make a college playoff pick we'll do a, we'll do a few quick picks maybe I'll put us on the spot we'll pick rookie of the year and MVP for the NFL we'll do that kind of stuff at the very end if you like picks this is your show and if you like college football you're going to love the next 35 minutes uh with bruce feldman from fox sports 
next guest lives in Los Angeles and is a grad of the U. He spent 20 years covering college football for ESPN the magazine. But today he covers the sport for Fox, Fox Sports 1, and of course online at foxsports.com. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Bruce Feldman. How's it going, Bruce? Good. Thanks for having me. So do you like the U Part 1 or the U Part 2 better? Uh, Part 1, I didn't know if they needed to do a Part 2, to be honest. Um, I was actually involved in the first one a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, I felt like almost everything had been said by that point. It was just kind of, you know, I think because it had so much success, the first one, that they were like, hey, let's go back to the well again. So, right. The cool thing about 2 is just, realizing how much talent came through that school in those years. I mean, yeah, and I think what you saw is really the second batch when, you know, that Butch Davis run, there was just so many first-round picks who came out of there. You know, yeah. and it's, uh, it's a lot, you know, you could argue, I know a few people like to say DBU and everything like that, but you could argue, you look at, you know, the tight ends, the running backs, the defensive linemen, the linebackers. I mean, Miami has, has been, you know, put a ton of big time guys who went on to have really big careers in the NFL. And they still always have, it seems like they have high on talent every year that comes in the league. It seems like there's always a really fast guy somewhere that came from Miami, but it's another year. I mean, they're just outside the AP top 25. I think they're the first team receiving votes. Where is the, where is the, what's kind of the status of the program right now, in your opinion? You know, I think it's it's still kind of trying to get some momentum and get some traction. You know, Al Golden didn't really work out there as a head coach. He had some players, but just couldn't get it turned. So Mark Rick was the guy they hired. Uh, you know, he's a former backup quarterback at Miami. He had a bunch of success at Georgia. Let's, you know, we got to see, you know, how much energy he has and how revitalized he is because, you know, I I would argue that Miami was, yeah, they did have some talent, but they really have struggled to keep some of the better players in South Florida. And so that's going to be on Mark Rick. I mean, you know, when Miami's been great, they've had some real difference makers on the D-line. They haven't had that in a long time. You know, they've had they've had some good receivers. They've had, you know, guys here there. Duke Johnson was a good running back. Uh, but they just haven't been that good in the trenches. It's been a while. And so... We'll see if Mark Rick can get that going again. I mean, he inherited a really good quarterback in Brad Kaya, uh, and there's you know there's some some athleticism, but you know again you don't look at that defense and see a bunch of guys who could be first round picks at this point. Let's take a step back real quick. Uh, Stuart Mandel is a great friend of this podcast. He's been a great guy to us for a long time, and I bring him up only because. You know, I mentioned off the top that you're at Fox, and he's at Fox as well. And it's a couple years now, I feel like, into Fox kind of really being a player. Obviously, Fox Sports 1 is establishing itself. You know, we have the Saturday night games on Fox. Everything's kind of a couple years in, I think, to the plan of college football and Fox. How how would you kind of describe a state of the union of Fox Sports and the way they're using all their resources to cover the sport? Well, I think college football is a big deal for us. Now, right now, you know, the biggest thing that has had success has been UFC because it's really the, the one sport that that Fox really has kind of dominated. Yeah, they've had NFL for a long time, and I think we're really good at it. 
Um, but just in terms of the competitors don't kind of match up when it comes to UFC. When it comes to college football, you know, ESPN has the, has the playoff. They have most of the bowl games. And so, you know, they have a great, great studio show in, in college game day. So it's, it's a real uphill battle. Now, I'll say this, you know, this is coming up on my third football season for Fox. Our games get better and better every year because of our rights deals. You know, we're getting better Big 12 games. Uh, we have good Pac-12 games. Next year we have, we get the bulk of the, of the Big 10 deal going forward. And those, right. are, those are big steps for us, you know. But um, it, it takes time to get people to get used to what channel you're on, you know, because it's just not a habit. Whereas when I go to the gym every day, you know, I don't watch around the horn, but it's on over my head on, the, on one of the TVs at the, at the at the gym. And it's, you know, there's just, it's kind of the default channel. You know, ESPN is even more so than maybe, you know, some of the others. And so that's what you're working against. It didn't happen overnight. It's not going to get changed overnight. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too. I mean, we probably both only learned about this hours ago that, now SI and Fox are going to share resources a little bit um, to try to dra- draw in some revenue, and and I'm sure with the hope of improving both of their coverage. But I think in the in like you said, just a few years time, I, I've really thought that the, you know that as a viewer that it just seems to get better, you know, all the time. So yeah, and I think it becomes down to you know we had some good hires this off season. I know I, we hired Chris Spielman. You know, former Ohio State, great. I think he's as good a college football announcer as there is. He's going to do NFL a lot this year, and then when we get the Big Ten deal, Chris is going to be a big focus over there. You know, and I think it's just kind of not only building your team, but getting guys, getting people comfortable to working together, and that stuff. You know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the AP Top Twenty Five came out this week, and one thing that's really I think interesting about it to me this year anyway is if you just sat if you just sat kind of an average sports fan down and you said all right the AP top 25 came out for college football and this this fan might not be a big college football guy he might very well guess seven of the top 10 I mean it's big names in this top 10 in the top 25 this year maybe it's always like that but it just jumps out to me this year I mean it's Alabama Oklahoma Florida State LSU Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame are all in the top ten, and it just there's, ju- yeah, jumped there's, out at me. There, there's two things that are probably missing in that, and the one thing is, and I tweeted this out when the AP poll came out. It's there is no Texas, and you have to go you have to go pretty far down the list till you get a uh, it's TCU, and then Houston, and then Baylor. Those are the three Texas teams that are ranked in the top twenty five. The other one that's not in the top ten, which usually people would expect, is USC. You know, they're kind of in rebuilding mode. Right. The new coach, Clay Helton's in there. But, yeah, I mean, when you see some of the blue blood programs, like you mentioned, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, obviously Alabama, uh, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, from Oklahoma, it's a lot of really familiar names and familiar brands and, and, and familiar helmets that a lot of them haven't changed much over the years. Is there one when you look at the top ten that you think they're there on reputation that just doesn't feel like a top ten team to you? Um, yeah, a little bit. Ohio State. I'm not saying I don't think they're a top twenty team, but they have the fewest returning starters of anybody in the country. Only six. Uh, 
you know, they they do have some good, obviously good players. I mean, JT Barrett came in fifth for the Heisman two years ago, their quarterback. But I think a lot of that is being based on Urban Meyer's reputation and how well he's recruited there because they just don't, you know, we haven't seen a team with this little experience that high up in the preseason rankings. I mean, somebody had them preseason number one. Right, yeah. They I mean, I think they're probably somewhere around 15, but we'll see. They're, you know, we're going to find out a lot about them pretty early. They have to go to, to Norman to play Oklahoma in week three, uh, and that's going to be a serious test for them. And, you know, I mean, anyone who watched the draft, it seemed like every other player was drafted from Ohio State, so we know they got to replace a ton of guys. I mean, it seemed like every time uh, it, it went all three days, too. It seemed like any time anyone was calling anyone's name, they were from Ohio State. It was kind of unbelievable. Yeah, and it, it's, it was a lot of guys on defense, but it was also, you know, their left tackle, their best skill guy was Ezekiel, a, a terrific running back. Mike Thomas was their best receiver. You know, it was it wasn't just the guys on the defense, but you know, I mean, he's recruited well. He thinks he has a lot of talent. We'll see how consistent they can be. I mean, I think the Big Ten is better now, in large part because of Urban Meyer, but it's better now than it was three years ago. And I think you know, it's it's going to be a challenge. Michigan State's still good with Mark Antonio. Jim Harbaugh has really elevated Michigan. Uh, I think Penn State will get better as now they get you know, further, more depth and further away from the Sandusky scandal. And and, uh, and we'll see how they go. Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma were all in the playoffs last year, and they're all in the top three again. We know Oklahoma's bringing uh, Baker Mayfield back. Clemson has their quarterback uh, back. Uh, but what is it about Alabama you think that the voters find them to be? the? I mean, 33 of the first place votes. Uh, number one, is it? Is it what is it about them? Is it the SEC? Is it is it talent? What is it you think that keeps them ahead of the other two returning playoff teams that are in the top three? You know, I think there's so much respect for Nick Saban. He's won four national championships since he's been there in Tuscaloosa. Every year he has a big physical defense, and that's a great building block. You know, they did lose the Heisman Trophy winner Derrick Henry in the backfield. This is the most inexperienced they've been back there because they the last. This is the third year in a row they'll have to break in a new starting quarterback. What's different now is there isn't an established running back to lean on, but they do have a really good receiving core. Calvin Ridley's an all-American caliber wide out. O.J. Howard had a monster game in the in the final game against Clemson. So there, there's, some, there's some definite weapons for whoever gets the quarterback job. But I think so much of it is people know, you know, Nick Saban has so many players on that roster, and when you see them, when you eyeball them in person, they just look different than almost everybody else because they are so big and so physical and still athletic. I think Oklahoma is really interesting because you mentioned Ohio State. They'll play them the third week. They're also playing Houston uh, in their non-conference schedule. That's a top 15 team according to the preseason AP poll. And then, of course, they have their Big 12 schedule, what do you think about the, the the way Stoops and Oklahoma have been aggressive in terms of scheduling? And do you think that, in part, that was good foresight on them knowing, uh, entering the playoff era, that they weren't going to have a, a championship game necessarily or some of the other things that the other uh, conferences with 12 teams or more have? Well, I applaud the aggressiveness that they have. You know, to have two top 15 teams, in your non-conference, especially when you only play three games. I mean, the Big 12 is one of them. It's not like the SEC where, you, where you're playing four. Right. 
So there's not a lot of, there's, there's nothing easy. I mean, they, they are in a dogfight right away. Houston, it's at, it's, it's in Houston. It's not at Houston Stadium, but there's still going to be a probably more Cougar fans there than, than Sooners. I mean, I went to visit the school, uh, middle of last week. We were doing some TV features that I was working on and got to see them practice. Baker Mayfield was really impressive to see. Uh, they have they have a couple of big big talented running backs and a deep receiving core. Their offensive line is going to be a little young, and they're going to face actually a really good defensive line in Houston. In Houston, I went there the next day. They got a lot of players there too. They don't look like your typical non-power five team, so it's going to be an interesting matchup, and certainly it's going to be you know a big test when Ohio State comes in that week three. Right. What do you think about Mixon and P. Ryan and kind of the backfield? I mean, that I fought Oklahoma football for a long time, and I mean, we can name guys that have been pretty unbelievable, but probably not since Adrian Peterson and Alan Patrick were back there. And I don't even know, and Alan Patrick is not nearly the talent that, say, Joe Mixon is. I mean, these are two really, really, really talented running backs, and and they're they're different too. I mean. P. Ryan is like a guy you want to get out of the way of, and Mixon's a guy like, can you catch him or not? Well, the thing is, they're both big, big backs. You don't realize how big they are until you're you know, at field level. What's amazing to me about P. Ryan is he is going to set, he's almost certain to set their all-time rushing record in three years. Right. When you think of the running backs there, and this is part of the TV piece we worked on, because it was just like kind of went down the list. And Billy Sims, Heisman winner, Steve Owens, Heisman winner. You mentioned Adrian Peterson. Yeah, who just missed guys, breaking it. Yeah, Peterson just Joe missed Washington, it. Joe Watkins Greg Pruitt. I mean, there are some real terrific running backs. And and so when I was talking to Bob Stoops, he goes, you know, Barry Switzer had a really interesting comparison for some Ozzie Keyline. He said, he's like Earl Campbell. And I was like, Earl Campbell's, you know, his football royalty when you think of what a what a monster running back he was. And, and Mixon, on the other hand, is a little taller. He's taller, but he's still around 225 pounds and has excellent, you know, receiving skills. He's very elusive, and that's the that's the combination, and that gives Lincoln Riley's offensive coordinator a ton to work with. And that's those the air raid offense has been very very prolific. And the call what OU does traditional air raid is probably a little bit of a misnomer, but that's Lincoln Riley's and Mike Leach disciple. And these are the best two running backs who've ever played in this system, and so it, you, you know it's and it's going to be fun to see what they do in year two. What with Baker Mayfield as the trigger guy, because they should light up the scoreboard every game this season. And I think we know how talented P. Ryan is. I don't think people realize just yet how talented Mixon is, but I worry. I worry that I still think that video hangs over him. I mean, if that. That video sees the light of day. That things could change in Joe Mixon and Oklahoma's life really quickly. I feel like. Is well, that... I think the video is eventually going to come out. Now, yeah. I never saw it. Some local media has. The part about it that you know, I wasn't at this. I was uh, was not at this part of Big Twelve media days. But I guess Bob Soup was asked about the punishment of Mixon, and his response was, "You know, that was a couple of years ago now." Right. And. You know, I think it's going to be an embarrassing, ugly PR mess for Oklahoma. You know, you know, if and when that does come out, I don't see Oklahoma. You know, like kind of re-handling 
know, how his case, just because they had already determined he was going to sit out the year. He did that. Uh, you know, I was at the Orange Bowl media days where they made had to make Mixon available. Mm. But he hasn't really, that was the only time as far as I know, he's talked about, you know, been asked about it. And there's some litigation, I think, still in play. So, you know, I... It's your 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 phrasing. I think was right. It, it is hanging over him, you know. At least in the at least in everybody else's eyes outside of outside of maybe the actual football team. Because you know, even when you were asking about him, that's the first thought that comes in your mind, and it's like you know, you you think about um, you know some there's some great running back combinations in college football. Tennessee has Jalen Hurd and Alvin Kamara and and USC has a really good, you know, dynamic, you know, duo there. And a lot of times, just how you know, people are kind of default say, "Oh, they have a great one-two punch," and you're thinking, you know what? You don't use that phrase, right. yeah, with, 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 as it relates to Oklahoma. No you know, it's a, it's an ugly incident. It's, it's, it's really bad. Um, and it is, you know, these kinds of issues are serious problems on, on not just college campuses, but you know, just in our society, it's a, it's a bad deal. It's just bad, and um, so I don't. I don't know how Oklahoma is going to handle handle it when it comes out. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, Oklahoma should have made Nixon available sooner last year to the media, and maybe some of this would have been diffused before he got to the Orange Bowl." I don't know. Probably you know, not. It's, yeah. it's easy to speculate on that, but I don't know how that would have unfolded any other way. Yeah, Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman was on here, and he's seen it, and he said it's it's not good. It's ugly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I often wonder, like, if it would have just came out when he was punished. Because people can't say they didn't punish him. I mean, it's a, you can argue what the appropriate punishment is for sure. And I'm not, I don't have the answers to that question. I have no idea what the right or wrong thing to do is. They did punish him pretty severely. Is it severely enough? I don't know. But it just feels like something that for the player and for for the for the program is never going to really go away until that video comes out because we all know at some point it's going to come out. So. Yeah, and I had read a story, Barry Trammell's a columnist there, and he did a really interesting, you know, it was a compelling piece of, about the victim and all this and, you know, her life in the aftermath of that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's an ugly, ugly situation. And I, I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure what, you know, how Oklahoma handles it differently, if it changes anything, because, you know, I like you said, Ryan saw it, a couple of people in the local media, you know, were able to see it. I heard it, it's really bad, too, yeah. that it's every bit as bad as you can imagine it is. I mean, I remember the DeAndre Johnson video. He was the Florida State quarterback who had a bar fight with a woman. Right. And, you know, I remember where I was when I was watching, when I first saw that you know, kind of thing. It's just, it's jarring to see. And, you know, I mean, again, I don't, I don't know how they're going to handle it when, when it comes up. And I know that they probably have had to have discussions about it. The sports guests are here with Bruce uh, Feldman from Fox Sports. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Bruce Feldman CFB. He's got a great book too, by the way, uh, about the quarterback, which is out on paperback now. Uh, I believe it's called the QB, correct? Yeah, and it's just the QB. Yeah, the QB, and you can find that on paperback. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. Uh, a really, really great look at the QB. A um, couple real quick hitters. 
how how good of a season do you think Fournette can have at LSU? You know, I think he's going to be one of the top three guys for the Heisman. I mean, he's a special running back. I talked to some of the coaches down there. He said he's lost a little bit of weight, which means he's you know down slightly under two two thirty, but he's still he's running at four four two in the forty. I mean, he's a special talent, and. You know, he has a really good offensive line. I think it'll be key now, year three for Brandon Harris at LSU. He's got a strong arm and is out, is a, you know, has good feet. If he can take some of the pressure off Fournette, I think, I think it will be a huge year for LSU. I really think that the Tigers are in a good position. I thought Les Miles made a great hire getting Dave Aranda to run the defense. He came in from Wisconsin and I, I just think this could be a huge season. I, I, they're my pick to come out of the SEC, and I think Alabama's really good, so that tells you what I think about LSU. We talked a lot about Oklahoma, and last time they won the national championship in 2000, we probably wouldn't have been talking about them at all at this point of the season. Is there any teams like that that are on your radar, a team that is at, definitely outside the top 10, maybe even outside the top 15 that you think you have that has the talent to just put put a season that, their fans will never forget together? Uh, there's a team that I'm really curious about in the ACC, and it is Louisville. You know, I think Clemson's really good. I think Florida State's really good. This is the other team in that division that has a lot of talent. You can say what you want about Bobby Vitrino as a human being, but he is a good offensive coach, and he's got a really, really talented uh, young quarterback of Lamar Jackson. He is fast. He, he's got a strong arm. He is really Developed a lot from what I heard this offseason. They have a defense with a lot of talent at all three levels. They did give up too many big plays last year, but if they can kind of get more consistent play, because they, they do have good talent around Lamar Jackson, you know, it's 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 going to be a tricky tricky run for them because they play uh, Florida State at home, and then they got a little Marshall, who's not an easy team to play, and then they have to go, you know, that's a sandwich game, and then they have to go to Clemson. Which is you know that's a that's a rough three game stretch, but then later on in the year they have to go a Thursday night game to Houston. So just to expect them to run the gauntlet's not going to be easy. But I think they have the talent to be a to be a top fifteen team, maybe even a top ten team. You know it's amazing. We talked about that Oklahoma Ohio State game, which is the third week of the season. Have you looked at the schedule that week? We got Alabama, Mississippi. You mentioned mm-hmm. you like Louisville. That's the date that Louisville plays Florida State. USC plays Stanford that week. That that might be one of the best weekends of college football I can ever remember. Yeah, and I think it's gotten overshadowed a little bit just because the opening week, you know, is such a big, big opening. You know, it's the best opening Saturday, opening weekend we've ever had in college football, I think. So, but yeah, week three is loaded, too. So it's, it should be a lot of fun. Are there some uh, non-conference uh, games early that you have circled besides some of the ones we hit? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we mentioned a little bit about Florida State. I mean, Ole Miss against Florida State in Orlando should be fun. I'm very curious to see what happens with Texas A&M and UCLA. I mean, Texas A&M's office corner in Ole Miss only just came from UCLA. That's where he used to work. Josh Rosen, the quarterback he left behind, who I think has the most pro potential of any of these guys, just has a terrific arm and is a very bright kid. So there's a there's there's a lot of good matchups and the game within a game and that A and M so yeah, um, McDermott is a possible first round pick. He's a six eight you know athletic left tackle and he's probably going to be up against 
maybe the first pick in the first second pick in the next draft and and that's Miles Garrett from A and M who's kind of like a Jadavian clowny but with a better motor. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Did you see Last Chance You? Just came to mind. I thought of that. Did you get a chance to see that? One more time, you cut out on me a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you get a chance to see Last Chance You? You know, I have not yet. I, I've been hoping to. Clint Trickett, who's the quarterback coach there, you know, and I yeah, played go back a little bit, and I was I've been meaning to try to see it, but it's just been been chaotic getting ready for the start of the season with all the preview stuff we do yeah he's a really interesting character in it too because they talk a lot about his injuries and some of the concussions he hit and he's a really interesting character i just thought of it because uh it's just really interesting you know that we would watch that and uh john franklin the third uh you know is featured in it and never really never really starts until the last half of the entire season never really barely plays and He's going to start at Auburn. Am I understanding that correctly, or are they still waiting? There's a to... good chance of it. Yeah. yeah, he came from Florida State, and he is a very good runner. Now he's not that big, and it's tough to hold up in the SEC. But you know, people think he may be the solution. Gus Malzahn needs to, to jumpstart his offense after a disappointing 2015 last year. Yeah, it'd be really interesting because if he starts in, you know, Auburn and Chad Kelly is starting at Ole Miss. Those are the last two quarterbacks from uh, from this last chance. You and they got yeah, East Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of talent come from such a small place. All right, Bruce Feldman is on Twitter. I mentioned it earlier. You can find him. He's at Bruce Feldman CFB. His book, The QB, has been released in paperback, and it's more than worth your time. It's also available uh, on eBooks. I read it that way. I downloaded it from i uh, from the Apple Store. Uh, and you can do that. It looks awesome on the iPad. Um, and you can read uh, the book there and talk about the QB. Uh, two quick things and we'll let you go. Since you are the man with the QBs, give me the top three QBs in the country this year to watch. And then give me your four playoff teams. Okay. The, the top three guys, I would say, is Deshaun Watson. He had a huge year last year. Should be even bigger because he has Mike Williams, his best receiver, missed all last year back. He's also bulked up 15 pounds to handle more of the pounding in the run game, which they like to run him in those big games. Josh Rosen, who we mentioned before, you know, has got everything I think NFL people are looking for in terms of can make every kind of throw, good feet, very, very smart. Uh, you know, he's going to play in more of a pro-style system this year. Then the third guy is Baker Mayfield. I mm-hmm. just thought he was fantastic in his, in his first season. He's a little unconventional, and he's about six feet tall, maybe a shade taller than that. But he can beat you, you know, if you, if you take off, you know, downfield to kind of cover his guy, he's taking off, he'll probably be riding up your back, you know, trying to make a big play. He's just very good. He's very accurate. Uh, I think those three guys, to me, are the, are the top quarterbacks. But it's a, it's a pretty deep year with some really good, good passers around the country. Keep an eye also on Pat Mahomes from Texas Tech. His dad is a baseball player. Cliff Kingsbury's had a bunch of prolific passers. He thinks this is the most talented kid he's worked with. So that's saying something. Hmm. Interesting. And your four playoff teams? Uh, my playoff teams would be Clemson, LSU, um, uh, Michigan, and I think this is the year where we get uh, we could get a we could get two teams from one conference. I was on the fence between Oklahoma and and Alabama, but I think they'll probably just end up. You know, keeping them all across the board. So I think Oklahoma will be the fourth team. 
Gotcha. Well, again, it's at Bruce Feldman, CFB on Twitter. You can find him all across the Fox platforms, foxsports.com for the running. Any, anything else you want to throw out there plug-wise? Um, no, just, just watch this. I I'm also do sideline reporting for Fox Sports 1. So I think our first game, we have a Big 12 SEC matchup, uh, Missouri against against uh, West Virginia Week 1. So if people watch FS1, you can check that out. It'll be interesting uh, inter- intersectional matchup there. Bruce, thanks so much for doing this, putting it together with me uh, today, and I, I really enjoyed just, just talking some college football with you. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank Bruce Feldman for being on the podcast today. I look forward to this every year, Don. Need that play. I like this song. Love All right. Over-unders. Yeah. I'm going to make our picks. So basically, Vegas picks a number. Yeah, we're using... What do we got here? We're oddshark.com. Oddshark.com. Right and it's now. as of August 9th, I believe. So I don't think anything too significant has happened that would have changed any of these. But we're going to tell you if we think... The team's going to win over or under, and then the bets are based on 100. Right. So if it's a favorite, that means you would make, you'd have to bet the amount that, like Green Bay, for example, is favored to win over 10.5. You have to bet 175 uh, to win 100. But if you pick their under, you would have to bet 100, but you'd win 145. Everyone got the rules? <laughs> got it. All right, Don, kick us off. All right, uh, we like to pick our own teams for better or worse. I'm going to take the Bills. Uh, their number is eight. They better be better than that. Uh, give me the over, and I'm laying 125. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about my team. I just don't think they're going to go six and ten. I just don't think they're that bad. I know some people might. I think they're wrong. Drew Brees and Sean Payton have never been that bad, so they'd have to be the worst Brees and Payton team that's come through there, and I just don't think they are. Um, seven is a push for me, and I think they'll probably win at least that. And it's m- only minus 110, so it's good money too. So all day I'm picking the Saints over seven. All right, my next two is where I, I get a little negative. Uh, I'm going to pick a couple unders. First one is the L.A. Rams are at seven and a half. I'm going to take the under on that. Thought of that one. I, I just – They where, suck. They're going to – I know they play Seattle tough for whatever weird reason. They play their division tough. But, I mean, that's that's got to run out, right, eventually. I mean, that, they don't have a lot of talent on offense. Uh, their defense is all right. but they got, got a quarterback got, looking over his shoulder. Eventually they're going to transition to the other guy. Yeah, they got four games against Seattle and Arizona. I don't know. That's that's tough for me to see them hitting eight wins. Go ahead, do your other under. My other under is Chicago. I don't expect them to be any good, and it's another team that uh, Minnesota could be good in that division. And they're they're seven and a half, also the same number. I'm going to take them minus one forty five. All right, I got two overs for you. I don't know if I said it. The Rams are minus one seventy, so that's a popular pick. It seems like right. All right, I got two overs for you. I'm going to take the Browns over five. Hmm. I just think they got a lot of talent on offense. They got a lot of speed. And I think Robert Griffin has a lot to prove. Yeah, I would have taken the under on them, but I do think Robert Griffin is kind of the wild card there. It could easily blow up. I'm the least confident about this one, but I also get it at minus 105, which is basically even money, uh, which I love. It's hard to get even money on these. Yeah. Um, And I just, I don't know. I just think that there's, 
maybe something there. So I'm going to take the over five. It's just such a low number. I'll take a chance. And then I'm going to take the Seahawks over ten and a half. And that's a football outsiders pick. That's the number one team in football outsiders simulations this year. Good. That makes me sound smart because that's the over I took also. I wanted to pick an over because I picked two unders and uh, I took them over ten and a half. It just it seems a team that good. I know their division with Arizona. They even if they split or lose both to Arizona, it's hard to find four other losses on their schedule where you lose this outright. So I like being on the same side as them. My under is a team. This is my last one. Something we talked about on the other podcast as a potential disaster brewing, and that's the Chargers. Oh, yeah. It's going to get ugly there if in the middle of the year we find out they're definitely moving. They played a lot of empty seats already. It's going to get really empty. There's a third overall pick that they don't want to make terms with. Phillip Rivers has got to be annoyed. Keenan Allen has never stayed healthy. I'm going to take them under seven, and that's actually the underdog, so I get plus 125 on that one. Chargers uh, under seven. That's got to be all on Phillip Rivers' shoulder, like you said. So mine are Cleveland over five, New Orleans over seven, Seattle over ten and a half, and the Chargers under seven. All right, mine are Buffalo over eight, the Rams and Bears both under seven and a half, and Seattle over ten and a half. All right, we'll be right back with Danny Kelly from The Ringer. Our next guest is from Seattle, Washington, and went to Pacific Lutheran University. He covered the Seattle Seahawks for SB Nation before becoming NFL staff writer at The Ringer. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Danny Kelly. What's up, Danny? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So how does a guy who writes for SB Nation become a writer at the Ringer. That's super interesting to me. Uh, I guess you just uh, do enough uh, networking on Twitter. <laughs> it helps, I guess. Um, I don't know. They kind of just found my work on SB Nation and looked me up. It was pretty cool. Did you? And, co- I'm sorry. Did you originate the SB Nation site for the Seahawks, or was there one in place before you started writing for it? I, I took over. Um, there's been a couple lead writers at Field Goal, that's Destination Seahawks blog, and I took over uh, for another guy named John Morgan right in there, and I wrote there for five years, and I wrote at Destination Mother Mothership or whatever for, I guess, about three years or three or four years. So kind of kind of got to do it all at Destination. I, I also ran an SB Nation Seattle site for a while, so that covered all Seattle sports, including University of Washington and, and Mariners and all that stuff. So uh, kind of got to do do a little bit of everything for SB Nation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems like it was a good time to be doing a Seahawks site too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was. I picked up on I picked up on the site the year after Pete Carroll got there. So he had done one year there, I think, and they had another seven and – or maybe I even picked up the year Russell Wilson was a rookie. I can't remember, but yeah, they got good real quick, and, and that definitely helped. Uh, it was a lot easier to run a run a website 
when you have internet commenters uh, as a big part of it when the team was doing really well. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> what I was respected about your SB Nation site was even you were able to admit how unfair it was that they got to host that playoff game against the Saints with the famous Marshawn Lynch run, and that Marshawn Lynch probably should have taken a knee around the 13-yard line to balance out how unfair that was. It was nice of you as a Seahawks writer to acknowledge that. I appreciated that as a Saints fan. <laughs> that was actually, no, I take it back. So that was the year, yeah, so that was that was uh, Pete Carroll's first year, so I wasn't, I wasn't doing that yet. So I can't take any credit for that. Oh, yet. that was and the previous regime. Okay, I'll, I'll have to thank them on the previous regime for, for their kindness in that. Yeah, exactly. The Saints and the uh, the Saints they love getting their ass kicked by the, by the Seahawks. Although they did <laughs> they did a lot better than I thought in the playoff game in two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, I mean well, that, that was the game that wasn't it like a hundred mile an hour winds or something like that. It totally threw the everyone's game plans off. Yeah, it was it. The game was like. The whole first half was pretty much don't fumble, and of course the Saints did. I think it was like Ingram's second fumble of the season. And then <laughs> they missed a field goal that the wind kind of blew 30 yards to the left. It, it was okay. it was the Seahawks being rewarded in that case for everything they had done all season. I mean, they were the better team that year. The Saints blew their division against Carolina a couple weeks earlier in another rainstorm that happened at the exact right time for the home team. But that was just, I remember just being a weird game because it ended with that weird Marcus Colston lateral thing. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. I was just going to say, like, I was so nervous at that point in time because I was, like, thinking this play is actually going to work, and then he threw it forward, and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I still... Very for a second. I'm sure Sean Payton still regrets not just letting Drew Brees throw it into the end zone. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'll never quite understand why the game didn't end with Drew Brees throwing it into the end zone. I don't know, but especially maybe, with Jimmy maybe, Graham on the team, maybe the wind or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But um, yeah, the Saints love getting their ass kicked there for sure. Earlier in this, I, earlier in that season, I went, I'm on in Monday Night Football. The Seahawks had humiliated them. I went to that game actually as a as a fan. So I was sitting in the in the stands as a fan that game, and that was actually. Sorry to bring the, sorry to you know rub it in or whatever. That was one of the most fun games I bet. I've been to. Oh, I bet. As a fan, that was kind of that was almost like where the Seahawks arrived. You know what I mean? Kind of just because the the Saints were doing really well at that point in time. Yeah, we were both something uh, in one or something in two. I think it was Monday Night Football, and it was for control. Huge deal. Yeah, a huge game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the Saints were never in it. I mean, the Seahawks took over that game. I think there was a yeah. sack fumble touchdown like and then another touchdown almost before I blinked. Yeah, my uh, Mark Michael Bennett sacked Drew Brees and like hit his arm I think. Mhm. Uh as he was going or maybe it was uh Cliff Averill who hit him and then Michael Bennett scooped it up and and went to score. Um that was another game that was really weird uh weather, you know, I I think it was really really cold and kind of snowy that game and that's pretty rare for Seattle so both of those games were weather adverse. It was pretty funny. We're kind of wax poeticing about some probably, for the most part, meaningless Saints Seahawks games. But I'm always interested to hear when a team goes on a run like the Seahawks have, what games stick out as a fan? Home games. I mean, obviously, I mean, kicking the shit out of the Broncos in the Super Bowl probably measures pretty high. But that aside, yeah. like, are there some games that are special to you that happened in the run that you're never going to forget? 
Yeah, I mean, again, I would I would have said that Saints game just mm-hmm. because I had a chance to go to the game. I, most of the time, I actually just watched from home, um, and so that was a lot of fun. And then the other games that come to mind are the NFC Championship win against the 49ers the year they went on to win the Super Bowl was was probably more exciting than the Super Bowl. Um, you know, because the the Seahawks 49ers rivalry at that point was at a fever pitch. It was it was intense. Like the Niners were probably just as good as the Seahawks that year, you know? Right, and the um, big interception at the end. Yeah, and Richard Sherman tipped the ball to Malcolm Smith to win the game. It was it really came down to the wire and so that was that was probably like as a fan, as a fan that's probably like my best memory. And then obviously the Super Bowl was really fun. Um and then let's see what the the divisional round win over the Panthers was a lot of fun. Um, so there's there's been some good ones. Obviously last year beating the Packers in that crazy NFC, or not last year, sorry, the year before beating the Panther, the Packers in that crazy NFC championship game was was a lot of fun too. It looked for three quarters of the game or even more. It looked pretty yeah. desperate. There was they were just losing. They're just getting their ass kicked the whole time. So. Um, that game was a lot of fun. It, there's been a, there's been quite a few like really memorable Seahawks games the last couple of years. We're kind of in the golden age right now. The Seahawks hunt. I was gonna say. I mean, you think about those two NFC Championship wins at home. You can't have two better games than that. You know, I yeah, mean, you really no. And the Saints in the one NFC Championship game that they had at home was an unbelievable game too, winning in overtime on a field goal. And I mean, that was twenty eight twenty eight back and forth the whole game and. Luckily for the Saints, the Vikings just never stopped turning it over. So they were, otherwise they would they would have lost. But they just the Vikings just refused to win the game. So <laughs> was that that when they had Favre? Or was that, yeah, that was, was that was later. Yeah, that was Favre. Right okay, before I remember that, I was sitting down on my couch for ten minutes saying, "Oh, this sucks. We're going to lose on a walk off field goal." Because they were just kind of marching down and Saints couldn't yeah, and stop them. Then he threw a pick. Yeah, Tracy Porter who intercepted. Manning in the Super Bowl a couple weeks later, so nice run for Tracy Porter. Hey, I mean, you got it. Sometimes you just got to be lucky. The Seahawks have had their fair share of that the last couple of years. I mean, I think that you could say that for every Super Bowl team, honestly. Like, you have to have a few lucky moments. Not necessarily lucky, but you know, preparation, you know, meets opportunity. But um, you got to get lucky sometimes. I think to win it all. And and like I said, the Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl were just about the same talent level as the 49ers that year, and a lot of people considered that Super Bowl, or the, the, the NFC Championship game, the real Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just best sports. You, you just kind of got to embrace sometimes you're lucky. What has been the hardest thing about transitioning from focusing so much on one team to being an NFL staff writer at Ringer, where you're looking at the league in a more macro view now? Yeah, I mean, it's just trying to keep up with everything. You know, it's it, you know, it's relatively easy to know a lot about one team, and it's a lot harder to know a lot about every team. So I think just keeping up and, and reading a lot and watching a lot of games and, and trying to make sure you know these teams well enough, their schemes, their coaching staff, kind of the history, um, all that, so you can kind of speak intelligently on it. I think that's just the difference. I have been doing it at, at SB Nation for a couple of years, so kind of – grew into that ability. It's not easy at the beginning, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, the Seahawks are still my wheelhouse, but it's starting to be a little easier to to really know the schemes and and philosophies of all the other teams and and the players and coaches and all that. So that's just kind of hard to keep track of all that. 
I think I told you in the email that we were lucky enough to have Robert Mays on. Um, we had Brian Curtis on la- uh, last year, I believe, maybe the show before. Do you feel yeah. like you guys, as a team, the NFL team, you and Robert and whoever else writes about the NFL for the site, you think you guys have figured out your positions just yet, or do you think it's going to evolve more during the first season as to kind of what everyone's lane is in terms of covering the league for the site? Yeah, it's probably, I think Mays and I kind of write in a similar style in terms of its X's and O's focused a little bit. Um, and then Kevin Clark is another one of our, our NFL guys, and he writes some scheme stuff, but a, a lot of his stuff is uh, wacky, interesting things that happen behind the scenes. Interesting stuff about players, interesting stuff about teams and franchises and all that stuff. So his his angles are, are really interesting, but pretty different from from what Maze and I do. So, and then we have a couple other people that write, you know, um, not not purely NFL stuff, but they write about the NFL at times. So, I think we're still trying to kind of feel it out. But I think the overall sort of goal is is Maze and I will be X's and O's focus. Kevin Clark does sort of interesting columns and, and, and focuses on macro stuff like evolutions of the league and that kind of stuff. So it's a good balance. It, it kind of covers every, it covers all the bases. What were you surprised most? Uh, what did you learn most about writing your 32 X factors piece? <laughs> that was actually harder than I thought it would be. Um, I bet. You know, it's hard, it's hard to pick one thing, one guy for each team that's really going to, you know, potentially make or break, um, you know, the season is not necessarily make or break, but I think it's kind of the, the angle I took was who's the guy that no one really is counting on being a major factor, but could end up being like the reason they turn out really good. Right. Um, and so for instance, like, you know, Victor Cruz was kind of the, the genesis of the idea. It's like, we've kind of forgotten Cruz even is, exists. Like at one point in, in, in his career, he was one of the best receivers in the NFL and now he's been really, you know, he's been hurt for two seasons, basically. And now they have Beckham and they have Shepard, uh, you know, Sterling Shepard. And so yeah. he's kind of just a forgotten man. But if he could get back to his previous form, like, that receiver group right there will be stacked. And, and it'd just be a lot of fun to watch. And so he's kind of the guy I had in mind when the X-Factor idea came to, came to me. And, and so that's kind of the, the way I went through it. But it's difficult. It, it was kind of hard to pick one for every team. There's Some teams have, like, multiple guys where you could easily pick Several different guys. Some teams, it's almost a reach to pick anybody. <laughs> have, but, the, uh, have the fans on Twitter come up with one for a team, and you're like, shit, that probably was the right answer. Um, I mean, there's definitely, like, for the Bills, for instance, like Reggie Bush was just the guy I landed on. But there's there's a, there's multiple guys on that team that you could have chosen. Obviously, losing um, Mario Williams and Marcel Darius for for a while. Um, you, I could have easily picked a, a pass line. rusher or something mm. like that, you know. Um, their rookie pass rusher could have been a guy I picked. Uh, Shaq, I can't, I'm, I'm blanking Lawson. on his last name, but. Lawson, yeah. Shaq Lawson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, oh yeah, Shaq Lawson. So, so, I mean, he's, a, he's a guy I could have easily picked. Um, there's a couple other guys on our team that I could have easily picked. So, it's just one of those things where you gotta settle on one guy. I think it'll be just interesting with Carlos Williams leaving, um, that's kind of that's a it's kind of a lot of production as the you know the not necessarily the backup to to LeSean McCoy but kind of the thunder and lightning element and I think now it's kind of lightning lightning with Reggie Bush and LeSean McCoy but it'll be interesting in the passing game kind of like how he 
how he brings it all together. And so I just, you know, had to go with had to go with one guy. Yeah, Carlos Williams is looking like he's out there trying to write the book on how to ruin an NFL career in twelve months. Man, that is a weird one. So honestly, weird. Uh, yeah. he uh, I guess gained a whole bunch of weight. Yeah, I guess he came like about two sixty. He came to camp. He's. <laughs> I mean, that's too much, man. That's too much. Didn't you see what happened with Eddie Lacy? Like people are going to pick this apart. Yeah, that, and you can't hide from being two sixty. I mean, no. No. you know, that's you're asking to get killed. And he, I guess he was getting his weight down. Uh, but then, you know, people you around to, town here are saying uh, then he started gaining it back and they got pissed off and they just had enough of him. Not to mention a drug yeah. suspension, too. So on there as well. Yeah. 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 So. It's interesting. He didn't get uh, he didn't get picked up on waivers either. So clearly something was going on there. So when you were picking the Seahawk and you picked Jimmy Graham, I wanted to talk to you about Jimmy Graham because I still care about the guy. And right. I think that Jimmy Graham is a sensitive athlete. He's a very sensitive athlete. I think it goes – we could have a really probably maybe strange discussion about his childhood and how he grew up, and that's kind of my – I have a social work background, so it's always interested me. But I think he's a guy who's very – very sensitive, who went to a situation where he was no longer the most important person. And the Saints always made Jimmy Graham feel like the most important person. Drew Brees always made Jimmy Graham feel like the most important person. And I think it was a real adjustment for him when he wasn't being treated that way anymore, when he got a little bit of tough love from uh, from Pete Carroll. Um, and then, of course, the injury is, is tough of an injury. A knee injury is where players are still still dealing with about right. in 2016. As a Seahawks fan, as an NFL writer, what are your expectations for the guy right now? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely sort of a fascinating case. I, I love the, I don't know if you've probably seen it, the Powerade commercial where it talks about his background, you know, churning the cream and, or the, the milk into cream and climbing out of the bucket or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a really cool commercial that kind of shows where he came, you know, came from. Um, and so I think Seahawks fans immediately kind of fell in love with the guy. But at the same time, there was this insane expectation that he was going to be like the guy he was in New Orleans, right? Right. He's going to catch 90, 100 passes and 16 touchdowns. It's like, you know, that's just not, it's just not going to happen in the Seahawks offense. Obviously just they passed, you know, two-thirds of the amount of time that the Saints do, it's a totally different offense. It's predicated on the run, all that. Um, so I think it, people came in expecting Jimmy Graham to be Jimmy Graham, and when he wasn't the same volume, you know, stat guy, I think people kind of not turned on him, but people were kind of like, this is another stupid trade for the Seahawks, basically. But it's Percy Harvin all over again. Um, right, and at the time and so- they can't block anyone, and it's like, man, it'd be really nice to have our center back. Which didn't help, which didn't help Jimmy Graham's case either, you know. And yeah, yeah, people yeah. love Max too. So I love Max Unger. I mean, you talk, he's a pro's pro. You don't even have to think about center. You know what I mean? You know the ball's going to be in the quarterback's hand every time, and he's not going to get the guy killed. I mean, he's he's a wonderful yeah. offensive lineman. You never think about him. You forget about him all year. Right. You know, you can't ask for more. But exactly. I think Jimmy yeah. Graham expected to be what 
those he had those expectations too. And Jimmy Graham yeah. is soft. I mean, if there's a, a criticism for Jimmy Graham, he is soft. He is. He is delicate. And, um, you know, those things that the Seahawks players uh, were saying about him, they weren't wrong right. about him. You know, he is that way. That is the negative of him. And I felt bad for him. And obviously, you know, at week 12 is a bad time to tear up a tower tendon. So I don't know exactly when it's realistic that he can be Jimmy Graham again, but I hope he doesn't rush it because I think I think he's in a really delicate position in the career of Jimmy Graham because if he loses his confidence, it's going to be tough to build it back up, I think. I think one silver lining with the injury, and, and obviously I'm not saying this is a, like, it was a good thing he got injured because it could legitimately spell the end of his career as we know him. Um, but there is one silver lining, which is expectations for him are basically at zero right now. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of changes the dynamic, especially just in Seattle. And I think nationwide, like there was a very strong narrative that the Seahawks weren't using Jimmy Graham right last year. And that was a distraction. And that was a thing that forced Daryl Bevel to try and target him more and kind of take them out of their core offense. And so when he went down last year and the Seahawks kind of, hit their stride and became really, really efficient in everything they were doing. Um, it was part of the reason was because they didn't have to target Marshawn Lynch or they didn't have to give Marshawn Lynch twenty carries. They didn't have to target Jimmy Graham constantly. Um, and so now I think him having that injury specifically, I think anything he does is honestly a bonus at this point. That's, I think that's honestly how people are looking at it. Like if he gets if he catches five touchdowns, that's five more than than I think anyone is expecting. I don't think anyone was really expecting him to play this year. And, uh, you know, so obviously he has to stay healthy, but I think the Seahawks can use him in, in sort of a limited role as, you know, the, the Y-ISO kind of guy. You line him up outside and, and stack guys on the other side, and then he's, he's in one-on-one. And they can scheme things that, you know, a lot of the stuff actually that the Saints are doing with him, I think they can they can do in Seattle on third downs and in the red zone. Um and then hopefully they got to let him run down the middle of the field a little bit more too. I mean, he's so dangerous well, down the seam and it, I only got to see a few games, but I kept looking for him and it just felt like he was, wasn't working the middle of the field as well as he did in new Orleans. And the part of the reason is, um, when he was actually playing for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson was not playing as well. They hadn't kind of figured out, um, the offense, if you look at the numbers from the first week, eight weeks to the second eight weeks, it was like night right. and day. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of that is they gave him more control at the line of scrimmage, and they they speeded everything up. So you're running shorter routes. It's uh, wide, they spread things out a little bit, give Wilson more options in the quick throws. Um, I think, and and you know Jimmy Graham gets a lot of credit for what he was able to do down the deep middle of the field, but he's also a huge target for for Breeze just on short little stuff. And I think that they'll probably use him on that a lot, too, over the middle. Um, so I, I think, you know, using what the Seahawks did in the second half of the year, I think Graham, I think he translates well to sort of how they changed their offense with Russell Wilson, just kind of running the show. Um, so I, I'm still optimistic that he could be a solid contributor. I just don't think if anyone's expecting him to be the Jimmy Graham that he was in New Orleans, I just don't think that's realistic at this point. I think he's going to be more of a role player and, and a red zone player. Hopefully he'll, you know, get back to scoring touchdowns a lot because 
you know, it's awesome to see him spike the ball and, and it's too bad they can't let him dunk anymore because that was always really fun even for someone who's not a fan of the, the Saints. I just always oh, have yeah. loved Jimmy Graham just because he's just so much fun to watch. It's, it's crazy to see a guy who's six foot six, six foot seven, or whatever he is and, and move like that. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. I got to ask you, since you're a Seahawks guy and we got a lot of people who are probably going to be drafting this week, what, what's your take on the Seahawks running back situation for the season? <laughs> yeah. I just did a, uh, a a podcast with some fantasy guys, the fantasy insider guys, and I told them essentially I don't really trust the Seahawks in fantasy this year, especially the running game, because I think that one Rawls is coming off an injury, so you kind of have to wonder how he's going to bounce back and how he's going to look and how they're use him if they're going to use him like a bell cow like they did last year. I kind of doubt it. Plus, Christian Michael has looked so good. So I could see them doing a running back by committee. And, you know, obviously that's the death of fantasy points for anyone who, who tries to take either of those guys. So to me, you know, if you want to take one of those guys and stash him and hope, hope you see one guy kind of end up being the bell cow over the other, go for it. Uh, for me, I'm not wasting a high pick on either of those guys just because I think right now Chris and Michael's running too well to not be given any carries. And Rawls, I don't think, is – you know, I, I really I think he's an amazing running back, but I'm I'm a little still worried how he's gonna you know how long it's gonna take him to get back to sort of full speed just because he still hasn't even really practiced much and right. um, he hasn't played in any of the preseason games. He's he's still a little behind. So, and they're gonna want to use the rookie on third down every once in a while too, which is gonna take someone off the yeah. field now and again. Exactly, CJ Prosite is a guy they're excited about. I don't know how much action he's gonna get, but still want to throw another guy one now and again. His, I think. What's that? I said they're going to want to throw it to him now and again. I think you know if he can if he can pass protect, he'll get out there on third down. He's really good out of the backfield. Exactly. They 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 talked a lot about how they like his skill set as a as a as a receiver. So um, I don't know. To me, the, the Seahawks running back situation is so up in the air that if if you're on the fence about taking either of those guys, go somewhere else. Honestly, or or, or pick them and stash them and hope that one guy ends up, you know, kind of the leader of the group. But right now, it looks to me like a running back by committee. And, and Carroll's done that in the past, uh, before Marshall Lawrence, in terms of at USC and things like that. He's, he's shown that he's, he's kind of just rides the hot hand. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But the, the fantasy aspect of it is definitely really up in the air at this point. The Sportscats are here finishing with Danny Kelly from TheRinger.com. If you got 12 minutes, you can read his 32 X-Factors uh, as part of the 2016 NFL preview at TheRinger.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, where he's Danny B. Kelly uh, yep, there. Yep. And um, why don't we let you go on this? I'm curious, and I'm always curious. There's two weeks left of this dreaded, never-ending preseason. What <laughs> what questions are you still wondering what the answer might be to in preseason? What, what As someone who's covering the league for for uh, ringer what do you still want to know the next few weeks if anything well i mean clearly we kind of still don't know who the quarterback in denver is i think right now it's looking like uh simeon is that how you say his name i'm not actually sure because i haven't heard people say it that often um but it's looking like sanchez lost the starting job in denver um so and, and the other guy <laughs> the other guy is getting the start this week, and so he's kind of, it looks like he's got the lead on the starting job. So that's one thing um, to really 
keep an eye on. And obviously, as the defending Super Bowl champions, there's going to be high expectations. But at this point, you know, they've lost some guys on defense. Uh, their offense is really, you know, questionable. Although, obviously, last year with Peyton Manning, it was not great either. But um, I think that's one big question still to be answered. Um, and, I mean, I just think in terms of teams that are interesting, I think the Browns are just so interesting this year. And it'll be interesting to watch Robert Griffin and, and, and one, see if he officially wins the starting job. I'm not sure they've officially named him the starter or not, but it's looking pretty clear that he's the guy this year. Um, but they've got a lot of talent in, in skill positions. And, yeah, and I think that the, the line could still be pretty good. Um, so they're a team that is pretty interesting. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to win the, the AFC East or, or, sorry, the AFC North or anything, but, um, you know, they're kind of one of those teams that you want to keep an eye on because it's just kind of fun. I talked to Aaron uh, Schatz this week from Football Outsiders. They yeah. they did one million um, simulations of the season, and the Browns won the Super Bowl in just about 700 of them. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right, it's at Danny B. Kelly on Twitter again, and you can find his work on TheRinger.com. Anything else you wanted to mention plug-wise? Uh, I got a piece coming out on the nickel defense, um, I think tomorrow, so you can keep an eye out for that. It's kind of uh, the Ringers, we've, we've done some stuff this week on the spread offense, and so Kevin did a thing talking about how NFL teams are a little uh, reticent to get too, too into the spread offense, and, and Mays did a uh, linebacker evolution piece today that kind of ties that, and I'm doing an article about the nickel defense. So those three kind of tie together. You guys can check that out. Um, t- kind of just talking about the future of football. It's pretty interesting stuff. Thanks for the time, Danny. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. I want to thank Danny Kelly for being the second guest on Season 6, Episode 23, a special kind of football preview issue we also had. Bruce Felbin, want to thank him as well. Don't forget, you can listen to Season 6, Episode 22 uh, as well with S.L. Price and Aaron Schatz. You can find these episodes on iTunes or Stitcher or on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. We're looking for your quirky fantasy football rules. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters, and Don is at Sports. All right, it's time for some football picks. I was just thinking real quick. Yeah. We talked about when we were recording multiple shows. It was when we were doing the football-specific podcast, probably. Oh, yeah, and that was definitely here. Yep. That was in the year of 2013 because it tragically ended with my death. Oh, that's right. That's right. We were. They kind of, like, agreed not to go after us for not finishing the contract and we kind of agreed not to force them to figure out how much money they owed us right <laughs> so we did that for a whole year got paid nothing and they were never going to be able to figure out what to pay us anyway i remember yeah. we were thinking they would just have to come up with something right but then we couldn't finish the contract you ever talked to died. the main man there the uh there peter or yeah we gotta have monsoon yeah he was a good dude i liked him yeah i like him a lot kyle burns that's okay right Carrie J. Burns. Carrie Burns. That's right. Yep. All right. Don is too chicken to make some college football picks, so <laughs> I will make them. I got LSU, Oklahoma, Florida State, and Stanford in the playoffs. Wasn't sure about that fourth spot, but I love McCaffrey, so I'll give it to Stanford. 
Uh, I think LSU is the national champion this year. I don't know who they beat. Whoever wins the other game that they're not <laughs> in. Uh, Fournette is special, and he's going to be the first pick in every dynasty draft ever had next year. So if you get it, congratulations. And if you can get extra picks, add it. Get him, yeah. Get him, because he's special. All right, do you want to start? Let's start with our individual award winners in the National Football League. All right, my Offensive Player of the Year. Um, I think I usually go kind of safe. I'm probably going to be too cute this year with these. But if Houston can do with Lamar Miller kind of what they used, did with Arian Foster, then why not? Why, why couldn't it be Lamar Miller? If anything, he's always put up awesome numbers, and for whatever reason, Miami refused to give him the ball. So maybe with the chance there, he can be the Offensive Player of the Year. I went with Adrian Peterson for Offensive Player of the Year. I think he's got another rushing title in him. Yeah, I thought about that too. And I think that people, I think he's a little annoyed at people's perception of him, and I think that that's something that's a strong motivator for him. So I think he's going to have a huge year. So I picked Adrian Peterson for that. All right, my Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to go to the NFC, and I'm going to take Luke Keekley. Uh He's always seemed like a guy that had the ability, he just can't stay on the field. So I guess I'm betting on him staying on the field. For Defensive Player of the Year, I'm picking Jarris Bird. <laughs> here's my here's my thought. If he, let's say, has two picks, uh-huh. three force fumbles, fifty tackles, and two sacks, the voters will be so blown away <laughs> that he'll win. So, like the like the bar is so low for Jarris Bird that he doesn't need to accomplish what a normal defensive player of the year needs to accomplish. Okay. You know, and if he fields a punt, just one, say, and I know this really doesn't count and runs for, but, and he re- advances it even a yard, again, it's just going to sway the voters. So I'll pick Jarris Bird it's for that. It's hysterical. I, I can't think of another player that has been so good on one team. And it wasn't like a fluke here, it didn't seem like. He was a ball hawk. Like, he was everywhere. I'm kidding, by the way. He has absolutely no chance to win. <laughs> right. He's the most useless player of all time. But- well, part of the defensive player of the year is you probably, unless you're a sack guy, like a defensive end, you probably have to be on a pretty good defense. So the Saints' defense would have to take probably pretty huge strides. In that case, I'm going to stick with him, though. <laughs> so go ahead, give us your MVP. Okay, uh, my MVP is Aaron Rodgers, kind of for the same reasons you said about I have Peterson. Rodgers too. Yeah. I just think like his offense is much healthier. Eddie Lacy is much thinner, uh, and he's got to have that same. I, I'm going to go prove it kind of year. So why not? All right, who are your playoff teams in the AFC? Give me your four division winners and your two wild cards. All right, I got the Pats, uh, the Broncos, the Bengals, and the Colts. All right, I got the Patriots the Steelers, the Jaguars, and the Chiefs. Mm, okay. Chiefs are interesting. I, Broncos D is so good. I know the quarterback is a mess. It, yeah, I just don't trust Yeah, Don't trust it. And in my wild cards, I got the Steelers uh, and the Bills, which is a huge homer pick, but I don't know. Show me. Come on. I have the Bills and the Raiders, and I like the Raiders, and the Bills are due. <laughs> it just, seems so due. wide open. We talked about how the NFC – has a lot of teams that maybe are going to fight for that sixth spot. I don't think there's all that many teams that should be able to fight for it in the AFC. It's going to be the Steelers, the only other team the I really considered. Well, I didn't pick the Broncos to make it, so I could have picked them. Okay. And I could have picked the Jets, but, nah, I picked the Bills. They're finally going into a year with a quarterback that seems like their guy, and it doesn't It doesn't seem like they're forcing it. Like, this isn't when they signed Fitzpatrick because they kind of had to. Like, 
God, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Please. In the NFC, I'm going to pick the Packers, the Cardinals, the Saints, and the Cowboys to win the divisions. I'm going to pick the Seahawks and the Panthers to be the wild card teams. Okay, we might have all the same teams. Oh, no, we don't. Um, I have the Seahawks, Packers, Panthers, and Giants to win the division. So I have the Giants. I, the Giants are a team I could I, have picked any of those I teams. Can I can never predict like. the Giants, and I just feel like, okay, this is the year they get back. And, like, it's – they can always. They always seem like a team that's going to go six and ten or ten and six. I, I, I can never pick them. Um, and my wild card teams are the Cardinals and the Saints. I feel like the Seahawks and Cardinals are the most definite playoff teams, and they just happen to play in the same division. All right, Super Bowl pick. Um, I got the Pats, which is I just the AFC. I think is down, especially with no quarter. Not that the Broncos had a quarterback last year, really. I mean, they had a big name, but I don't. It's a quarterback league, and the only team with a super good quarterback right now is the Patriots, unless Andrew Luck kind of turns it around. Um, and I took the Cardinals. I, I think on paper, like if they could get good quarterback play, if like he could stay healthy, they might have the best lineup in football, the Cardinals. So I'll pick the Steelers. I think their offense is just that good. Yep. And then I'm going to pick the Packers because I think the Cardinals and Seahawks are going to beat up at each they other could. just enough yep. that that NFC Championship game is going to be in Green Bay, and that will be enough. So I'll pick the Packers versus the Steelers, and I'll pick the Packers to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I've got the Cardinals to go to win the Super Bowl. So, All right, that's it. When the night shows, the signals grow. On radios All the strange things They come and go As early warnings Stranded starfish Have no place to hide Still waiting for The swollen Easter tide There's no point in direction We cannot even choose Aside. I took the old track, the hollow shoulder across the waters. On the tall cliffs, they were getting older. Sons and daughters, the jaded underworld was riding high. Waves of steel, of metal at the sky. As the nails sunk in the cloud 